This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, January 23rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Mountain Village talks forest health. Below lift nine, skier saver a silver lining. Capital Conversation looks at the state of the state. And a mountain weather forecast. Climate change is having an impact on our landscape, from more extreme storms to drought to the overall health of the forest. The state of the town of Mountain Village Village Forest is changing. Uh, Warmer and drier temperatures that were experienced during the last 20 years are expected to continue um, and even intensify. That's Rodney Walters, town forester and GIS assistant for Mountain Village, speaking at a town council meeting last week. This can result in widespread tree mortalities, beetle and other insect outbreaks, and occurrences of new tree pathogens. Uh, And it will also contribute to the continuing buildup of standing dead and forest, forest floor fuels. Walters was hired last year to help the town create and implement a strategic forest management plan. In 2022, Walters and the town of Mountain Village completed and supported residents to implement a number of forest management projects. We issued 167 uh, tree permits uh, uh, during the course of the year, uh, completed 15 defensive space program projects, and issued 28 permits for cedar shake roof replacements. He notes the town also partnered with regional organizations surrounding wildfire mitigation and forest health. Now, Walters is turning to that strategic management plan. There are four uh, uh, basic steps involved in this process. Um, We have taken steps on the first uh, step, or on the first part of this process, which is to uh, gather data and perform assessments. So this year, uh, Dr. Seibold uh, gathered data and issued a forest type and conditions report. Walters generated a report with the Colorado wildfire risk assessment process, and he scheduled a flight in the summer to collect high-resolution data about the forest. Next step is to establish community goals for the plan. Um, Once the goals have been decided, Uh, we can mobilize to start um, uh, achieving actions. Um, And then uh, uh, an evaluation of the entire process is also essential. So that allows for adaptation and, and making changes. While Mountain Village is moving forward to create its plan for wildfire mitigation and forest health, Walters notes the likelihood of Mountain Village burning is low but that doesn't mean it's acceptable to not take action. The overall annual burn probability is very low. It's low to very low. Um, However, if a a fire were to occur, the consequences could be extreme. And so, uh, you know, just because the probability of a fire is low doesn't necessarily mean that the most responsible approach is to take no action. Uh, a responsible approach, in, in, my, in my viewpoint, would be to, to do whatever is possible to reduce the consequences of a fire if it should occur. But Mountain Village Town Council member Pete Dupre wants to see more urgency. Things are changing, right? And the Southwest is in a drought situation. Things are only going to get worse. And I guess my challenge to you is help us... Help us 
solve this problem. And I think what you got to do is you got to educate. You've got to come up with a multi multi year plan. Of here's what I want to do. Here's what it's going to cost, and this is how we're going to protect Mountain Village. And and I think this is a good start. The only thing I have an issue with is you say we don't have a problem, and I, and I really do think in 15 years we're going to spend an, a lot more money than we do today on fire mitigation. Council member Marty Prohaska acknowledges the urgency, but thinks it needs to be done strategically. Data-driven work programs are the way that we need to proceed. We can't just say that there's, you know, we can't just create urgency where it doesn't exist. And it's just going to take a little time to make sure that we're doing it in the way that is the most impactful. And, you know, back to your comment about, you know, low probability, high risk. I mean, that's, we deal with that in a lot of scenarios, you know, mountaineering and all that. I mean, again, you always take the precautions, even if it's low probability, because it's high risk. And that's what we're doing with this with this process. Over the next year, Walters plans to engage with the community to create the town's strategic forest management plan while continuing to implement current forest health and mitigation efforts. Conditions are bluebird, and the midday sun is warming the mountain air high up on the Telluride Resort. On this bright afternoon, following one of the biggest dumps of the season, skiers are shouldering their gear and trudging uphill from Sea Forever to the base of the shuttered Lift 9. This year, of course, the lift itself has been closed for a high-speed upgrade, but the terrain below is open and accessible as a hike to. Skier David Olson, catching his breath at the top, says skiing Lift 9 is worth the long trip over. It's been really cool this year. I think it's, uh, there's just kind of a different feeling to it. And, uh, I mean, this hike is pretty quick, but just working for it a little bit more, uh, I think, keeps some people off of it, and it keeps it fresh, and, I mean, yeah, you've got to go 4, 5, 6, or 14 just to get up here, so... Construction to replace the former chairlift with a high-speed quad lasted throughout the summer, but various delays hit the construction project and the targeted opening date in mid-December came and went. Cassidy Craig, who grew up in Telluride, says the closed lift comes with an upside. I mean, it's a we got to work with the bumps of not having the, the lift open, but I think it's great. We can still ski, so there's a silver lining there. It looks untracked and amazing, and you gotta earn your turns, so. When I asked Gears Kat Helterline and Ava Halper about the lift's extended closure, they agree it's been no problem at all. Absolutely blower. <laughs> uh, a privilege, honestly. What started out as a very annoying news has become a blessing in disguise. I think it's the best I've ever skied nine. Yeah. And there's no reef on Makeham or Spiral Stairs. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, don't, don't tell anyone, but best ever. <laughs> With the lift closed, skiing down nine is pretty much a dead end into town at the Oak Street Plaza. Everyone I spoke with at the top was a Telluride resident fitting in their last run of the day. 
I asked Jake Spaulding if he ended every ski day with a trip down nine. Well, you know, I try to. It'd be crazy not to. <laughs> and uh, But um, I'm going to go over here and get some uh, bushy trees and just kind of find my way. And uh, I'm really grateful for the new lift. And if it opens, great. If it doesn't, I'm going to live. I'll be okay. Helper adds that with Lift 9 terrain, you can't go wrong. Oof, wherever the good snow is. I mean, everything's been skiing so well because it's very minimally tracked. Uh, I think the locals know their own spots. The the runs that are named are also very good. <laughs> the ski area continues to promise the lift will be open and operational before February. But from this mountainside pole, it doesn't seem the devotees of Lift 9 terrain are all too anxious for that day to come. Here's Olsen. I mean, I am psyched for it to actually like be up and running again, but we'll see if that happens this year. And if it stays like this, then whatever, we'll be all right. Halper and Helterline concur. Thanks Ski Patrol for letting this happen this year. Could have easily gone the other way. So grateful. Keep Lift 9 closed forever. <laughs> the new Lift 9, silent and still, though very near complete, stands watch as hikers strap into skis and dive over the edge into the vast, untrammeled terrain below. Governor Jared Polis provided his State of the State address last week and laid out legislative priorities for the 2023 session. In this installment of Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Lucas Brady Woods shares the governor's agenda. Lucas, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Thanks as always for having me. So last week, we heard Governor Jared Polis give his state of the state address. Um, you know, big question, but can you share a little bit about um, what he said and, and what he laid out in that speech as his priorities for this legislative session? Really, the overarching theme was what Polis has called Colorado for all. And he really wants to make Colorado an accessible and affordable place for people from all walks of life to live in. Um, and, and for him, central to that goal is addressing the housing crisis, which Polis says is completely intertwined with a host of other issues, right? It impacts climate policy, it impacts economic policy, transportation policy, water policy, et cetera, right? Um, housing is linked to all of those things. And he, he wants to create more housing. That's really his main priority is creating more supply for people looking for housing as soon as possible, but also in a way that reduces urban sprawl. So isn't super spread out, which, which increases uh, transportation costs, commuting, it it interacts with the wildland that we have here in Colorado. So, you know, he wants to do it in a way that minimizes urban sprawl, but he also wants to create more housing. Another big priority for him is cutting taxes. Um, and his, in his speech, he touted his administration's past work lowering property and income taxes, and he said he wants to cut them further. And that's interesting because that's something that not all Democrats are behind. Um, and a lot of Republicans have offered support for those ideas, but some Democrats say that that's a bit problematic. He also called on lawmakers to strengthen red flag gun laws here in Colorado, which here in Colorado, they're called extreme risk protection orders or ERPO. And he basically said that 
it should have been that the ERPO laws, the red flag gun laws here in Colorado, should have been used on the shooter in the Club Q shooting before this because he had had multiple interactions with law enforcement. And so he wants to expand those gun laws. Mainly, uh, one main point he said was to expand the petitioners who can petition to have someone's guns temporarily removed. He wants to expand those petitioners to district attorneys. Well, and so, you know, the governor can say he wants to do all of these things until he's blue in the face, but he doesn't have any actual lawmaking power as the governor and relies on the legislature to do that work. So then, you know, from his speech, what does it look like for lawmakers who are then actually introducing legislation that might fulfill some of Polis's goals? There are a bunch of bills being introduced by lawmakers that could become laws if they're passed that do align with those priorities. Um, One of them was introduced by Republicans, and it aims to slow Colorado's rising property taxes. Um, You know, property values in Colorado are supposed to be reassessed this year, but if passed, this bill would push that until 2025 to keep property values the same level, uh, or or property value assessments at the same level. Uh, The bill would also eliminate um, property value reductions and set assessment rates at the same level for the next two years. I know that's a lot of jargon in there, but basically this bill is trying to slow the rise of property values because those are pushing up property taxes. Another bill that aligns with Polis' goal of lowering uh, health care costs is a Democrat-sponsored one. That's Bill 1003, and that aims to lower the price of epinephrine injectors. Uh, epinephrine injectors are used to treat acute allergic reactions and asthma attacks. Those have climbed to hundreds of dollars uh, a pop for epinephrine injectors. So this bill from Democrats, its goal is to lower those costs so they're more accessible to people. Um, and then, you know, lowering the cost of housing and strengthening those red flag laws I mentioned are also major priorities for Polis. But major legislation dealing with those issues have not been introduced yet, although they, they, they are likely to be introduced in the coming weeks. Got it. So we are talking to you. You're in Denver at the state capitol. And so I have to ask, as you're wandering around the capitol building, I'm sure there's many people it's bustling. How are you um, finding places and getting to where you need to be to be able to record audio well? It's a very key part of our jobs. Um, So how are you scouting out places across the Capitol? Well, I will say this is one of the fun parts of my job, getting to run around this building, because, you know, I'm a history guy. I love to be in these these halls of, you know, government that have been here for so long. and, And, you know, there's a lot of old passageways and stairwells. So kind of easy to get lost in this building. But I will say finding places to record has been a challenge because, like you said, there's lawmakers running around, there's other reporters, there's all the staff. So sometimes I have to poke my head in and see if a room is empty and see if I can record in there because that's really all we do. Our press office is pretty crowded, so that's not a great place to to record sound. So, uh, you know, if you listen closely, you might hear different types of echoes depending on which room I'm in that that particular day but yeah it's it's kind of a a bit of a scavenger hunt finding a good recording room sometimes here in the capital but it's a it's a fun one well I'm very glad that you were able to find some place quiet to record and Lucas thanks so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today as always happy to do it that was KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reporting from Denver 
After a furnace outage shuttered the beloved institution for over a week, the Nugget Theater is reopened and the projector is rolling. On January 11th, the Nugget began to have heating issues and it was closed until Friday the 20th. The outage postponed the showing of Corsage, a German film dramatizing the life of Empress Elizabeth of Austria and her efforts to maintain a composed public image amidst the duress of court life. The film plays nightly at 7 through Thursday. The Colorado Department of Transportation will begin road work on Highway 550 south of Montrose later this month. The work will take place at three sections along a nearly nine-mile stretch of road starting outside Kelowna and extending to the outskirts of Montrose. The project will include the creation of passing lanes, intersection realignment, left turn decelerations, and deer guards. CDOT notes the new passing lanes will improve traffic flow. In addition to the deceleration lanes, it will create a safer path for vehicles to reach the appropriate speed before exiting the highway. Daytime work will take place Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., Motorists should plan for lane shifts, shoulder closures, one-lane alternating traffic, and a reduced speed limit throughout the work zone. The project is scheduled to begin on January 30th and will likely last through October. In one of his last decisions, former Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez vetoed a bill for helium extraction. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has more. The Navajo Nation Council approved the extraction of helium at two sites in Arizona and New Mexico on December 29. Activists lobbied President Nez to oppose the bill, and he issued the veto on January 9th, his last day in office. Helium comes from uranium decaying deep in the earth. Helium then rises and is trapped in pockets close to the surface. The legislation would have allowed companies to drill helium wells some five or 6,000 feet deep. But activists are concerned about the history of uranium mining on tribal land, which left behind cancer and other health consequences that are still being felt by Navajo people. Eloise Brown is with the group Dada No Helium. Uranium kills people. Helium is from rotten and decayed uranium. So my message was, are we that stupid? Are we crazy to allow helium after all our relatives have passed on from uranium exposure? The two companies that want to extract helium insist that no uranium will contaminate the environment. A spokesman for Navajo Nation Oil and Gas says rich reserves of helium in the region could lead to a windfall for the tribe, an estimated $100 million in royalties over 7 to 10 years. In the coming months, these companies will lobby newly elected government officials. Activists have vowed to fight the projects. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a chance of snow showers tonight with a low around 10 degrees. Tuesday should bring cloudy skies and a high near 20, and Tuesday night calls for clouds with a low around 5. Wednesday should be mostly cloudy with a high near 15 degrees. Clouds are likely to remain Wednesday night when the low should be around 0. This has been the news for Monday, January 23rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.